Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So the flyer says, that's enough, all caps, very bold. Pandemic podless and solo dwellers anonymous. We know you're out there. Come out of hiding for the BYO whatever, plus socially distanced neighbors, winter, social. That's Kim Karsten Bush, a resident of Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. And she's reading a flyer that she put up on lampposts and construction sites around her neighborhood. Put on some damn pants and get your arses over here for this pandemic safe missing persons afternoon gathering. (laughs) Kim lives alone. She's been alone throughout this entire pandemic. And a couple of months ago, she realized it was starting to take a toll. I'm immune compromised, so like I've had to be extra careful myself. And I was actually in a situation where I wasn't comfortable getting together with people even outdoors in bars or restaurants because I don't want to take my mask off and have to eat and drink. And I was like, well, what, what can I do? It just suddenly occurred to me, I was like, we could get people together in the park as long as everybody's wearing masks. That's something that I would feel comfortable doing. And there are like zero things I feel comfortable doing. So Kim printed off her flyers and it worked. People showed up. She brought a portable speaker. Someone else walked around handing out name tag stickers. And in total, about 30 people, all wearing masks, walked around and socialized outdoors. Small acts like these, gathering with your neighbors, helping others get out of their homes when they're isolated, they can have a real impact on reducing feelings of loneliness. You know, we're a year into this pandemic now, and the reality is that we still have a ways to go. So while it's essential that we continue to follow public health guidelines to reduce transmission of the virus, we do have to take care of our mental health as well. And finding ways to balance these competing needs is really important. So today on the show, we're going to take a look at the science behind combating loneliness, what actually works, and what can you do right now to safely reduce loneliness in your own community. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Neuroscience has shown that, in fact, our our brains use more metabolic resources when we're facing a threat alone versus when we are in the proximity of others. That's Julianne Holt-Lundstad. She's a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University. She and her colleagues have found that loneliness isn't just bad for your mental health or cognition. It can also be bad for your physical health, even your life expectancy. We looked at Loneliness, social isolation, and living alone, right? So loneliness is this very subjective perception of the discrepancy between your desired level of connection and and actual level of connection. Whereas social isolation is more quantitative and living alone really is quite crude, right? Because you can live alone and still have a, a wide social network. But what was so fascinating and surprising was that they all 
significantly predicted risk for premature mortality. Loneliness was associated with a 26% increased risk for earlier death, social isolation, 29%, and living alone, 32%. I mean, that's really fascinating. I had not heard that before. And does it persist? I mean, is this like a linear thing? Does it just get worse? I mean, it's, it's kind of like you've had an injury now, or, or can you completely rebound from this? That's a really great question. Um, so, you know, of course, we're still learning the effects of the pandemic and it's still it's still not over. <laughs> right, right. We're in the middle of it. Sure. Right. Right. And and so, um, you know, it's hard for me to predict into the future, but what we can kind of extrapolate from what's known prior to the pandemic is we do know that many of these things are quite stable. We already had very good evidence prior to the pandemic that this was a major public health concern. The National Academy of Science Consensus Committee report that I was a part of that was published just weeks before the, the declaration of the worldwide pandemic already concluded that there was you know sufficient evidence of the effects on on morbidity and mortality. So now we're at a stage where we've got everyone globally affected by this to some extent. And of course, we know some people um, are much more severely affected by this than others. And so really what we, we need to do is to follow the effects of this over time to determine what kinds of effects this is having on public health, who's at greatest risk, and where we should you know, prioritize some of our efforts. It is so interesting. Obviously, this is an issue that, as you mentioned, um, you know, significantly predates the pandemic. Maybe people are uh, paying more attention or thinking about this more, whatever it may be. But you were doing this report for the National Academy of Science, helping lay out the ways in which the healthcare system could help seniors experiencing social isolation and loneliness, which is kind of remarkable, just the timing of, of that. Were there specific recommendations or things that you came up with that you thought would be useful? Yeah, yeah. So the recommendations included increasing awareness. So greater awareness that people need to take their relationships seriously for their health. And, you know, as I mentioned, the morbidity and mortality, there's even evidence that social isolation and loneliness influences your susceptibility to viruses and the ability to respond to a vaccine. Um, so awareness is really important. We also have recommendations around education not only for patients, but also for medical and healthcare professionals so that they have the resources and tools to better educate their patients as well as identifying uh, potential resources for their patients. And one of the, the really um, great recommendations was to have a national centralized resource of best practices. And that is something that is actually being taken up. So the Administration for Community Living under HHS has uh, taken up this, this recommendation and is establishing a resource called Commit to Connect, hmm. which has basically three goals, national awareness and resource campaign, um, but it has a clearinghouse of evidence-based solutions. You know, you know, one of the things that, that strikes me when we have these conversations about things like loneliness uh, or even just stress in general 
is that sometimes I, I feel like in, in medicine and public health, uh, for that matter, something takes on an added degree of significance because it is measurable. When you think about these social interventions, for example, how hard is it to to measure? How hard is it to, to do a clinical trial, you know, that get the data that people often, you know, want? Yeah, and, and that's the challenge that we're running into is many of the solutions that exist in communities uh, um, are often grassroots organizations that are really just trying to help people. They're trying to help you know people in their community or um, a particular demographic. And they often lack the resources to do a, 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 you know some kind of scientifically rigorous evaluation of that. And that's the one of the challenges that we face as we put together this clearinghouse is that there are so many solutions out there that have been untested. And so really trying to take the, the evidence from the ones that have been tested to try and identify some of the features that are more successful so that those who may be designing something in their own community can look to that and say, okay, I, this, this particular approach seems to have evidence to back it. Let's try that approach versus, you know, just trying to use some common sense approach, which may or may not be successful. We do have to be careful because, you know, there is the potential that we could do something and, and people end up feeling lonelier or more isolated than they, than they did before. I, th I think that's that's a really important point, again, because maybe that's not intuitive for people. You want more social connections, but the right kind of social connections. I was really interested in one of the studies about the impact of performing small acts of kindness. I thought that was really fascinating. And what, what did you find? How did this work to, to actually assess the impact of performing small acts of kindness? We designed this study to try and find a way to connect people to their neighbors, which ironically, we started planning this study before the pandemic. And um, we actually got our IRB approval, I think literally the day the governor like shut everything down. <laughs> um, Incredible. And, um, and, and so, you know, as, as investigators, we all kind of stood back and were like, um, maybe we should hit pause on this. And of course- Or maybe it's know, a sign that you need to do it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that, that interestingly, you, you know, we quickly realized, gosh, you know, it's, it's during times of crises like this that we need our neighbors the most. It's the people who live nearby that we still have contact with. And so we quickly um, pivoted and made sure that, that the things that we were asking people to do would in no way violate any kind of local safety recommendations. But we, we just simply asked uh, individuals and just simply do small acts of kindness for their their neighbors um, over the course of four weeks, and they had the freedom to choose what they they did. But we we gave suggestions, simple things that people could do: have a conversation, check you know across the street or across a balcony, um, bringing in their neighbors' trash bins, or um, you know something my neighbor did for me was um, shoveling our driveway. <laughs> It's a good one. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, that really helped. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, we let people personalize what, what they might do. And what was so fascinating was that we found that just these small acts of kindness 
was associated with significant reductions in loneliness over four weeks. And this was hugely remarkable to me, given what we know about how stable loneliness is and how hard it is to move the, the needle on that. And what what else I thought was so remarkable is that it doesn't require any kind of training. It doesn't require any kind of special resources. Literally anyone can do this. That to me was so remarkable. And and the the measure of reducing loneliness, was that on the the people who are performing the acts of kindness or the people who are receiving? It was actually on the people who were providing the acts of kindness. So, you know, presumably those who are on the receiving end may have benefited as well. But yeah, I mean, just the act of of providing support to someone else or, or doing these acts of kindness can reduce your own loneliness, which again is also hugely, I think, profound because in some cases, to be on the receiving end, you you have to wait for someone to do something for you, whether that's make a call or, or you know, whatever that might be. But, you know, to provide something for someone else, that's more within our control. And so anyone can do that and benefit from that. And of course, benefit others in the process. Yeah. No, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, even with the, the basic public health mitigation things that we talk about wearing a mask and even keeping distance, there are things that you can do to still be socially connected. Sometimes we just wait, everyone just waits for the vaccine. You know, we, we, we think it's either the vaccine or nothing. And that's not, you know, it's not usually the case. I, I, I'm curious, are, are you, are you um, optimistic about the future, even post-pandemic with regard to loneliness overall? I'm always um, looking for the silver lining in things. And so, you know, as awful as this year has been, my hope is that that some good can come out of this, that this is a huge, critical point in time where we have collectively had to pause and reflect. <laughs> and it's a time where we can make big changes my hope is that we have greater awareness of the importance of of our social connections and that this will get greater prioritization, not only on a personal level, but also at a government level and a healthcare level. And so I hope that as a scientist, <laughs> you know, my hope is that we can take this opportunity to learn from it. And that we can um, take that and, and, and apply it in ways that can um, improve society. You know, I really hope conversations like this one remind you that it is possible to get outside. It is possible to build social connections in ways that are relatively low risk during this pandemic. It's true that socializing safely is not a perfect science, and we're not saying you should run out and throw a huge party. You've got to use common sense. But there are also things you can do. As Professor Holt Lundstedt found, something as small as checking in on your neighbors or bringing in their trash bins, over time, these acts can help you feel less lonely. So hang in there, lend a hand, and don't forget to take care of yourself in the process. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening.
Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Rachel Cohn, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, Nathan Miller, Jordan Gosporé, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Nathan Miller is our engineer, and David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.